Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of Ship Talking. I'm one of your hosts, Brandon, and I'm joined by my best friend in real life, Robbie Thomas. Hello, Earthlings and all other species across the multiverse. Thank you for joining us. Brandon, how was your week? Yeah, pretty good. Was pretty busy working on getting everything ready for this episode, but I think we've got a fun journey ahead of us. I agree. I agree. So everybody, while we put out episode zero last week to introduce the show, talk about what we're going for, what we're trying to produce for you, and a little bit about ourselves, in case you missed it, Brandon, why don't you go ahead and give everyone a quick little rundown of what Ship Talking is all about? Yeah, absolutely. So Ship Talking is a weekly 20-minute audio show that features discussions with guests from across the Star Trek universe and also has community-driven segments. We really want to feature you and your thoughts, so we're excited about that. Our discussions with guests are going to be less interview-like, as you can go out and read their Wikipedia page or other interviews that talk about what they did and how they contributed to the franchise. And our discussions are more like a group of friends shooting the ship about Trek ships around a table in 10 forward. When we get to the segment, it's almost like a mic being lowered over the table as we're mid-discussion. And I think it's actually kind of unique and not anything being done out there right now, so it should make for a pretty interesting format. So far, we have 17 guests lined up, including Rick Sternbach, who's on today's show, as well as special guest host Thomas Moroni, who's the lead ship artist for Star Trek Online. But we're also excited to announce that next week, Dr. Erin McDonald is going to be joining us. She is an astrophysicist and a science consultant for the Star Trek TV shows, including Discovery and Lower Decks. And we're going to talk all about real science behind the ships. After that, Doug Drexler is going to join us, as well as Margaret Whitecamp and Robert Duncan McNeil for the shows after that. And of course, we've got many others in the production pipeline. We are going to get to the chat with Rick in just a little nanosecond. But before we do, we'll be reviewing your answers to last week's community question that we put out and announcing the new one. Then after Rick, we'll report to you on our first all-hands-on-deck drill that you've been sending us in your training plans for over the last few days. So thank you for those submissions. I really think we're in for a fun show. Rick is an absolute legend, and I cannot wait to chat with him. And also Thomas, in his own right, has been a huge contributor to the Star Trek franchise. Exactly. I'm so glad he's joining us for that chat as well. Let's go ahead and move into that community queue segment and see what answers the community has been sending in for this week's question. For this week's Community Q, we asked all of you to send in what you think is, or was, or could be, the strongest ship of all time and why. I'd have to say, we got an overwhelming amount of responses. We also noticed that, uh, you know, Star Trek fans can be a little passionate about what ship they thought was the strongest. So when it came to the ship that was mentioned the most in submissions, it was actually the Enterprise J, which is the universe class featured in Star Trek Enterprise, primarily because of its temporal abilities, weaponry, survivability, and importance that it played in the Battle of Procyon 5. Now, this ship does have the distinction, Brandon, of not being crashed by Deanna Troy, if I am correct. (laughs) 
<laughs> one of the few enterprises that wasn't right well, that we know of but you know what maybe an alternate universe it could still happen right <laughs> this is true we also got a lot of submissions for the voth city ship and what i think is a fan favorite the galaxy x which is the enterprise d dreadnought from the tng finale all good things primarily because it had three nacelles cloaking and warp 13 yeah and what i really liked what a lot of you brought up about the voth city ship was just the sheer size of that and the absolute amazing armaments and defensive capabilities that it had uh, other ships that were frequently mentioned included viger from the motion picture the planet killer from the doomsday machine and the borg cube and i just have to say the best troll submission was the Oberth class and you know who you are i think what was really interesting with the borg cube specifically was that that was what i thought everybody was going to go for i i kind of was surprised yeah i agree i actually thought i'd see more borg discussion but as we know uh the borg can be destroyed right Absolutely. 8472 yep cool well uh thank you everyone again for your submissions now for this week's community queue we want to know what is your all-time favorite star trek ship armament and it could be offensive or defensive in other words which particular armament do you think was the most powerful and did you think was like the most awesome so for example was it quantum torpedoes or could it have been self-replicating cloaked mines on the defiant we want to know let us know your thoughts via email via website form submission or you can let us know via twitter great well without further ado i think it's time that rick and thomas joined us in 10 ford and we had a bit of ship talking well for the time that i was with the franchise a lot of the, the ship design really was connected with things like the motion control rigs, where you had a physical miniature sitting on a mount. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for me as a designer, I had to work with the visual effects guys to, uh, you know, make sure that the mount points could be driven into a, you know, a giant armature that we could have, uh, you know, top mount, bottom mount, tail mount, whatever the the effects uh, folks required for the ships to be filmed, okay? Now, as uh, digital came in more and more, the the idea of of physical mounts became less important, okay? Voyager was one of the last ships uh, for me that required knowing the mounts. Uh, Ships like the the, the Klingon Vorcha also required mount points deep space nine you know a big six foot diameter miniature we had to design mount points into the uh, pylons okay so that uh, you know those sorts of considerations you know affected the look to a degree of, of you know most of the things that i designed yeah it's actually so coincidental that you brought up the mounts because I was actually watching the 37s last night. I was just watching random episodes of Voyager and I was watching the landing sequence specifically and I was like, you know what? I wonder if there's anything online about behind the scenes. And sure enough, there was a photo of the mount and what that was being done there. And speaking of uh, the 37s, you get some great shots of the underside of Voyager. And one of the things we put up on our Instagram page recently where fans went crazy was actually a photo of the aero shuttle i don't think a lot of fans realized that was part of the ship well uh, apparently the producers didn't realize it was part of the ship either uh, <laughs> <laughs> um 
you know, although, although it was, you know, it was called out in the blueprints. It had a lineage with things like the captain's yacht. Uh, what happens at the producer level behind the scenes that I can't see, sure. um, mm. you know, for one reason or another, we never did get to do the aero show. Um, I designed the bottom of it with the thought that if they really ever wanted to see it, okay, they can adapt parts from the runabout set. Oh, interesting. Nice. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's really cool. Um, because the sizes and the shapes were very, very similar. Uh, the gang at uh, Foundation Imaging fleshed out the upper surface based on a couple of sketches that I had done uh, very early in the Voyager process hmm. uh, with something that I call the Manta. Because oh, it, nice. it looked very much like a, you know, a, uh, a manta ray. Okay, and and Foundation did you know a very very nice uh, concept uh, uh, sequence of the Aero Shuttle undocking and flying toward a planet. Yeah, um, I've seen that. It's super cool, and I uh, I also kind of wondered when uh, when you I don't know at what point uh, did you you did the Delta Flyer too? Is that right? Oh yeah, yeah. Delta Flyer was mine, sure. Yeah, and when you <laughs> when you started working on that, did did you have a conversation with somebody about you know we already have one of these you know what i mean like the delta fly i feel like the the aero shuttle could have easily been what the delta flyer became for the show uh, you, you know the the idea that uh, you know the delta flyer wasn't entirely necessary uh, you know i did that that conversation never came up that's fair enough you know i i was not high enough up on the food chain sure. to uh, to risk that yeah so, <laughs> uh but yeah if the delta flyer was fun uh, i might have memos here and there about you know guys we we do have this little thing stuck in the underside of the ship uh, <laughs> uh, that we haven't used but uh you know the, the the producers had their reasons for doing things and i mean you know i i stuck to my work table sure and, and, you know, I, I also wonder, too, if sort of the nature, I mean, uh, I don't know if you guys were even using email at that point, like internally, right? Or were you still passing around paper mem memos and stuff like that, uh, even when you're working on Voyager? I'm not sure how the, the progression of just, you know, interdepartmental communication technology was was happening uh, back then. So it, it's it's I think it's harder to have those incidental conversations when you have to actually print out four copies of a two sentence memo and send it to six people, you know, physically. Um, it's just, it's interesting to think how even that uh, changes things. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, Mike Akuda and I provided the, the writers and producers with uh, just, you know, piles and piles of, of tech memos. You know, I don't, I don't think we, you know, we ever got into real discussions about, you know, why are we building this miniature? Sure. Um, you know, those sorts of conversations occurred outside of my mm -hmm. range of hearing. Yeah. You know, besides the aero shuttle, was there ever anything else that you worked on that maybe didn't make it? I don't think we, we ever had the time to consider, you know, too many things like that. Mm. Uh, every 10th working day, we were into a new episode. Mm. Oh. Right. Okay. So we were prepping one we were shooting another we were doing post on a third and this went on you know for me for like 15 years right okay um yeah you know i, I might have had uh, uh let's say versions of a ship okay like the, like the prototype for the voyager okay that got changed midstream but 
it was changed at a point where uh, I could I could simply you know lay down some more tracing paper and start up uh, the curvier version that uh, Jerry Taylor asked me for the the Lexus. Lexus, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm glad you brought that ship up. So for Star Trek Online, our game is set in 2409, so it's about 30 or 40 years after Voyager. And so I was tasked with doing the next iteration of the Intrepid for that era. And I used one of your early Voyager contests as kind of a starting point with the bent down like runabout style in the cells that you had. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I sleeked out the top. And uh, it's fun. That's one of the privileges I think I, I get to do is taking those like hidden gems of the franchise history and then still bringing them to life in Star Trek Online. And and that's also what we did with the Aero Shuttle, actually. Like in Star Trek Online, when you're flying the Intrepid class, you can actually launch the Aero Shuttle and it'll fly around and, and defend you and everything. So so it's uh, it, it made it in <laughs> into our game, at least. Um, we're always so grateful for those little things that don't necessarily make it to screen, but that we can put into the game. And uh, and it's been a pleasure digging deep into all the, the work that you did. And I, I wanted to go back to Robbie's question about, you know, things that didn't make it. You know, uh, I, I'm curious about anything on the Voyager herself that, uh, you know, that you plan for. I, I mean, I heard that Doug Drexler mentioned even for Annex of One Enterprise, there was a whole like rail system on the outside of the ship for EVA that they never really used. Uh, things like that. I was, uh, I wonder if Voyager had a, a big feature besides the air shuttle that, uh, that you had thought of they hadn't really gone into. Well, you know, th- things that didn't make it, uh, you know, for me, uh, when we're talking about Voyager, uh, you know, when I started doing sketches just to see what kind of direction the producers wanted to go in. Okay, I had, you know, I had a Voyager with swing wings. I had... Uh, like an F-14 Tomcat swing wings where it uh, yeah, swung forward? Yeah, oh, I, wow. <laughs> I threw together bits and pieces. Um, you know, the directives that we got was, okay, 150 crew, smaller ship, uh, maybe faster, and then I started launching into sketches, okay? So I did one version of Voyager that had these huge, tall, uh, you know, shield emitter fins. And... I saw that. I wanted to do that with, with mine, but my bosses wouldn't let me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, for me, it was like, okay, throw everything at them and see what they like. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. The fins were in there. Uh, and I, I love telling people this story, okay? In the early 70s, I got to uh, to hang out a little bit with uh, Robert Heinlein. Oh, wow. And one of the things he mentioned to me was, always give the editors something to delete. Oh, wow. <laughs> that makes sense. That's a, that's a great idea. Yeah, so, you know, he did that in his writing. And I, you know, I threw things into the Voyager sketches, the early sketches, before it became costly with plastics and molding materials and all this kind of thing. Right. You know, you could change a sketch in like five seconds, right? Right. So I put the fins in there. The fins got uh, deleted. You know, the, the shape evolved up to the point of the first prototype. What we started to see in DS9 with the introduction of the Defiant was that change of the ships from strictly scientific and maybe defensive to ships that were geared towards military due to the Borg threat and then, of course, the Dominion War. But when you look at the Defiant and you look at the Prometheus and the Akira class, these are going to be more geared towards uh, military effects. One of the most exciting things for me as a kid watching Voyager was the moment we got to see the Prometheus 
make its debut on screen. And I know that a lot of people would say uh, you probably just like it because it's got multi-vector assault mode, and we could probably have an entire show on that. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the Prometheus again, you know, it, it came out of the story description of the ship. Uh, one of the first things that we were told was that it broke into five pieces. Five. Wow. And, uh, you, you know, I think this was in like the story synopsis that we get before the script. Uh, and I, you know, I kind of looked at that and I said, you know, mm. this this is going to look like Voltron or something, isn't it? Megazord from Power Rangers. Yes. Right. So they cut it back to three parts. For me, the, the three parts had to make sense. Right. All right. So you had the upper warp hull, the lower warp hull, and the forward hull. Okay. And each of these, I mean, the fun, the thing, the, <laughs> the fun engineering thing for me was, okay, how do each of these parts have impulse, warp, and weapons? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. You know, the forward hull, okay, there were little warp sustainer pods that would extend, and that was that was fun. The forward hull also had, you know, very obvious phasers. The upper and lower engineering hulls, okay, each of those sections had a pair of warp nacelles. When you have a, the, the full combined ship, there are four nacelles, okay? I've never had a problem with odd numbers of nacelles, uh, more than two nacelles, uh, you know, if I had to draw a diagram of the warp field interactions for multiple nacelles, um, I can do that in my sleep. Do you see the four nacelles as, as an acceleration thing? Or it could improve, you know, sustainability for high time periods of warp. Yeah, I mean, you know, depending on the class of uh, warp reactor and the, and the propellant supplies and, and that sort of thing, uh, having four nacelles you know, could have been an advantage, uh, you know, for a number of reasons. Rick and Thomas, thank you so much for joining us today in 10 Forward. Uh, before we wrap up, Rick, you will be our absolute first person that we get to have one of our most fun segments that we look forward to. It's our rapid fire question section. So what is your favorite ship of all time? Toss up between Voyager and the uh, Klingon Borgia. What is your favorite series of all time? I might have to say Deep Space Nine. Who's your favorite captain of all time? I'd probably have to say uh, Picard. Would you be command, science, or engineering? Oh, probably engineer. And lastly, would you have saved or killed Tuvix? Well, we did get them separated, so uh, I would have to say save. All right. Thomas, we've got to ask you the same question. So rapid fire, favorite ship? Original Enterprise. No bloody A, B, C, D, or E. Favorite series? Next Generation. Favorite captain? I'm going to give props to Janeway. She's pretty great. Command, science, or engineering? I am actually a character in Star Trek Online who eventually became the captain of the Pathfinder, so I'm going to go with command. And the same dreaded question, would you have saved or killed Tuvix? Got to get Tuvok and Helix back. Sorry, Tuvix. All right, gents. Thank you again so much we'll let you head back up to the bridge and robbie and i are going to move into our all hands on deck drill segment for this week
So for this week's drill, community members were given access to three ships, the Enterprise D, Discovery, and Voyager. They were asked to use only those three ships and all three ships in deciding which one they would joyride, which one they'd command, and which one they'd self-destruct. By overwhelming response, the majority of you wanted to command the Enterprise D. Now, this wasn't surprising for me. Was it surprising for you? You know what? I, I actually am not surprised. I think that... You know, people, like, there's a little bit of a emotional connection to the Enterprise D. I agree. The least desire to command, and this actually I found to be not too surprising, um, just based on a lot of community comments, it was the Discovery. I also think it probably comes down to an affinity and connection to a ship. We've only had Discovery for three years, well, two years, and now a third year. Mm-hmm. And we've had the Enterprise D around since the 80s, and of course, Voyager since the 90s. So we've seen it more on screen, and we've had a longer time because I actually see ships as characters of sorts. Yeah, which leads to which ship we asked you that you would most likely want to take out for a spin or for a joyride. And your responses were pretty evenly split between Voyager and Discovery. It did lean more towards Discovery because of the spore drive. And I have to admit, I don't know if I necessarily would want to be hooked up to the spore drive chamber. <laughs> But I think that, what is it? Black alert. Black alert. I kind of, uh, you know, as long as I can get one of those like shiny badges, I'm down for that. Yeah, I would totally take a spin uh, in the spore drive myself. That's what I would have selected. So good choice. Good choice. Okay. So for our next category, we asked you, what was your most desired ship that you would like to see self-destruct? And I have to say that I vehemently disagree with this because majority of you said that you would like to see the discovery self-destruct. And personally, I would have liked to see Voyager self-destruct. So, you know. <laughs> well, I, uh, I'd i have to be on the other end of that. I definitely wouldn't have self-destructed Voyager. But it's really hard. That's what the segment kind of reveals about people is they've got to make this hard choice between these three ships. So, Well, I feel like with Voyager self-destructing, it could have been blamed on Neelix's cooking, you know, for e- <laughs> easily, you know. Ah, uh, come on. Don't, year of hell, his cooking kept everyone alive. Did it, though? Or did it well. kind of extend that? You know, I don't know. I have some thoughts on that. But you know what? I'm not going to go too down the proverbial Reddit hole. Yeah. Yeah. So for anybody who is interested in knowing, one thing we actually saw a correlation between was that if you were more likely to want to self-destruct the Voyager, majority of you also said that you would like to command the Enterprise D. I think this kind of fits in with my theory of the longer the ship has been around on screen, the more likely it is to be desired to command or joyride, or at least not self-destruct, right? Yeah, you know, I think you're onto something that we definitely start to almost uh, get an emotional connection to the ship. You're right. Yeah, ships are characters. I I still think Voyager should self-destruct, though. (laughs) Okay, we'll leave it at that because we could be talking here for hours. (laughs) Well, speaking of leaving it at that, I think that's it for this week's show. Make sure to tune in next week for our chat with Dr. Aaron McDonald. Again, we're going to talk a lot about the real science behind ships and their designs. I am looking forward to that. Don't forget, hailing frequencies are always open. Head to www.shiptalkingpod.com to transmit a message. And while you're there, also check out our merch. Remember, you can support us by sporting us. Wear our logo out and about. And if you do, make sure to take a photo and send it to us. And you could also send us an email to hello at shiptalkingpod.com. We want all your feedback comments in addition to entries for our community queue and all hands on deck drill in fact if there's ever anything that you have ever wondered about or wanted to have answered then 
reach out to us because we will do our darndest to find out those answers. Yep, and we can put that as a potential topic for a future guest speaker. Uh, we're also on Twitter at ShipTalkingPod. It's been really great engaging with you all out there and making friends with the community. And the best way to support us is to tell your Trekkie and Trekor friends about the show. They can find us on any and all the podcast platforms or just send your friends to our website and they can get the direct links from there. Exactly. Well, everyone, until next week, stay safe and we'll see you about the universe. Cheers. Have a wonderful week. Bye.